0: Hey, Auntie is based in Melbourne, Australia. We acknowledge the traditional owners of the land where we live and work, the Wurundjeri and Bunurung people of the Cullen Nation. We pay our respect to their elders, past, present, and emerging, and we extend that respect to all Indigenous Australians and all First Nations mob everywhere. There you are. I've been expecting you. I've just popped the kettle on. Come on in.
1: Hey, Auntie. Hey, Auntie. Hey, Auntie. Hey, Auntie. Hey,
0: Auntie. Hey, Auntie. Hey, Auntie. How do you learn to love your body? Hi, and welcome to Hey, Auntie. I'm Chantelle Weatherall. Thank you for joining us. It's such a pleasure to be back with you. Continuing our mission to listen to black women, with more conversations reflecting our brilliance and diversity, showing that there's millions of ways to be magical. Fatu came to Australia from Sierra Leone at the age of 13. She was basically by herself, and you can imagine that she faced plenty of challenges. But she is incredibly resilient, bright and beautiful, and she has molded an incredible life for herself, where she now helps to mentor other young people as a social worker. She's also a really active and fearless campaigner against FGM in Australia. I love this conversation with Fatou, she gets really real about the challenges of going through all of those usual teenage things, with all of these additional things on her plate. It was really moving, sometimes funny, and basically incredibly life-affirming. Thank you Fatou, take a listen. So, you live and work in Sydney. What do you do, Fatu? I'm
1: a social worker. I just finished my degree, so I'm also working in the sector.
0: Amazing. And yeah. so, you live and work in Sydney. You work in social work. You do a lot of advocacy work. I've seen loads of beautiful things you do online. But uh, you weren't born
1: in Sydney. Where did you grow up? Well, I grew up everywhere in Africa. So, I grew up in Cote and I also grew up in Guinea with my mom and my, in Côte d'Ivoire with my stepsister.
0: And so Côte d'Ivoire is where people who don't have a beautiful accent like you would describe as the Ivory Coast. Is that right?
1: Yes. Yes, that's correct. <laughs> I That's love, French term for it.
0: <laughs> I love the way you say that. That is gorgeous. So growing yeah. up around Africa with your mom um this show is hey auntie how did you learn to love your body and so I wonder growing up in that environment what were the sort of cultural messages you received about femininity and beauty and women's bodies
1: growing up in Africa well in surrounding with women I feel like I grew up learning that in western world compared to where I grew up it was like skinny was kind of like ugly Like you have to have a bit of fat in your for you to be more womanly and then for you to be attractive. It was more like that, you know what I mean?
0: Yeah, we've got that too. So my family is from Belize in Central America and I grew up in the UK but um, we are also of West African ancestry. And it's so funny how that kind of translates because in Belize um, the – beauty ideal like I'm a good size 14 a generous size 14 and so I'm considered very curvy in sort of Australia but when I go back to Belize I'm actually too skinny to be attractive
1: yeah (laughs) that's me like growing up I was made fun of by my cousins and like no one's gonna marry you're too skinny so I I, I feel like as a, a young person as a young female at the time where I wasn't unaware of things that was happening around me it just felt like there was so much pressure to eat more food and to gain more weight and then to be attractive because like once you hit your pbd you're like so ready to get married and it was kind of like that pressure and you know as a child and that mind frame and that uh, environment, like yourself, you're pressuring yourself to grow into this woman that you're not because of the pressure of the society. And then the people around you, like your aunties and your, Grandmother and the men around you as well, because that was more beauty, and then that's what men to go for. Because when she hit fifteen, it's like you're ready for marriage, and you have your period. That's it. We're gonna get you married, and with you being skinny like this, no men want to marry you because it's considered sick as well, which is kind of like gross. Right. So it's like you look yeah. sickly. You don't look healthy no not at all like yeah it's just like that it's like no one want to get that an arresting person because you know they're sick you need to eat more food so you're literally forced to eat food even though you're not wanting to eat food but because of that pressure and you know no better whatsoever because everyone that you're surrounding wow like you're surrounding so all like,
0: Wow, when I was uh, back home in Belize, I heard the phrase for the first time, the way they describe like the really desirable female body shape is like, I think a very West African Kind of female body shape. And it's like a yeah. really solid woman, a woman who's like yeah. real curvy and solid and looks like she could, you know, have a lot of kids and be strong and help around the house, I guess, or, you know, be a strong support and partner. And they say, look at that, you know, they might be referring to a woman walking past on the street and saying how beautiful she was. And they would say, look at that gal, that healthy gal, you know?
1: Yes. Yes. That's exactly right. That's <laughs> exactly. And they'll w- they point it at the person and be like, that's what you need to be. And you're like, what? That? You know what I mean? But that was considered as healthy. And even though it wasn't, you know?
0: Yeah. Wow.
1: Or it might be healthy, but not for you because you're naturally very slim. Exactly right. And then you're pressured into doing this thing where you eat to the point that your body can't take it. Anyway and you start poking. And you're just like what the hell like you know and then coming to western western world it's completely opposite and I'm just like everything that I've been taught in my life is a fucking lie like it's just not the right thing you know what I mean yeah wow what a contrast Mm. how old were you when you moved to Australia I was 13 years old when I moved to Australia that was 2004
0: 2004. And am I right in my understanding that
1: you moved here on your own independently? I came here as within a refugee humanitarian visa when Australians were taking refugees from Sierra Leone. So I meant to actually come with my family, like my brother and my uncle, but they were not available at the time of the interview. I always said like, I'm the middle child and I wouldn't, like, no one likes me and no one, like, loves me. So I'm just stuck in the middle. So I have, like, oh. the middle child syndrome. Oh. That's what I always said to myself. So, so when the opportunity came over and uh, my mom actually did this paperwork, like, the whole story was, like, a guy came over one day. And I, I remember sitting there because I'm always home. A guy was like, hey, I have a visa, like I have like application to go to Australia, to refugee application within $50, like give it to me and I'll sell it to you. So my mom bought the paperwork, not knowing if it's legit or not. And then applied for, put my name and my brother's name and my uncle's name in it. And my, like, because she didn't know that it was like legit. So, and then they sent it to the uh, in refugee camp. Fast forward to five uh, one year later, and the guy, the same guy came back and said, hey, you guys have been approved to go for interview for the um, spot to go to Australia. It turns out no one, like my brother was in Sierra Leone. Like I said, they always travel with my mom and my sister. And I was the one that was in Guinea at the time. And I just ended up going to the interview with my uncle, my mom's brother. Wow. Another boy replaced my brother, who was not my brother, because it's a refugee paper. Pretty much, anyone can replace somebody. I so, see. So uh, he ended up buying the space. So we came to Australia together. So technically, I came with my uncle. The reason why I say I came by myself is because having associated with my uncle, pretty much, because he neglected neglected me at the age of thirteen. So I don't do anything with him. So I pretty much we came together, but I have not seen him for as long as I've been in Australia, pretty much.
0: Wow. So you are, you know, you're a 13-year-old girl. You've grown up with your mom and your family and, you know, a very African cultural upbringing. And, you know, lots of messages around what femininity is, what beauty is, what uh, your body should look like. And some of them, you know, good, some of them not so good. And all of a sudden, you're in Australia and all the messages are completely different.
1: Oh my God. It's culture shock. Absolutely culture shock. <laughs> like, you come from, like, you need to actually relearn how to reset your whole learning, like your whole brain, and then switch it. it's like a 180 turn where you're like, one minute i'm in africa where i'm taught to do this and do this and the next minute i'm in australia where i have to find self-love self-confidence and then try to belong at the same time and find that sense of security where i feel safe it's just like as a 13 year old girl i feel like it's coach it's like absolutely culture shock and then you're in a place where you have no family and then your uncle who has like absolutely have mind of his own and it's just like, wow, what am I going to do to survive? What am I going to do to look after myself as a person, as a 13-year-old girl? You know what I mean?
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I can imagine. Wow. That is a huge challenge. And at 13, let's be really honest, I think about myself at 13 and, you know, that's a huge amount that you had going on in your external world but when I think about my internal world at 13 you know I was you know getting my period I was you know my body was changing I was a 13 year old black girl surrounded by white people and all of a sudden my little beanpole body (laughs) started transforming and I started getting these wide hips and big thighs and, you know, (laughs) all of this stuff started happening. And I was like, (laughs) holy smokes, you know, you're going through puberty. To some extent you're becoming a woman and that journey into womanhood is tumultuous at the best of times without yeah. also having to navigate all of that new cultural stuff around becoming a woman. And, you know, becoming a woman in your culture includes a lot
1: of, you know, other things as well. Could you speak to that at all? Definitely. Like you were saying, you figure like, in your mind, you knew that your body is turning into something else and you're growing up into a woman. For me, at that age of 13, I swear to God, like, I wasn't even thinking about that. Like, I feel like my body was turning, but my mind was turning. I feel like I was in a survivor mood. It's like trying to survive in a world where I have never been before. And I didn't even know it existed within, like, three months before coming to here. You know what I mean? So, yeah. I think, like, for me, there. I think that was like out of my mind i didn't even care about my own body like you know but at the same time you're seeing people around where you walk around the street and you straight away people start object like you i feel like at some point i felt like an object where people like would say oh my god you have a big lips and then i have a big lips back home it was like you have a big lips it was made fun of you know your long lips and you're calling name with your lips and here people are and just like it's kind of like where do I like what 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 is accepting like you know um like a mouth mine is so used to being my lips I hated it because I felt like oh it's too big for my side when I have money I'm gonna do surgery to make it a bit smaller wow coming to a country where (laughs) yeah so these are the things that I went through back home and coming here I'm like I'm skinny that's acceptable in Australia I have big lips that men find that very attractive but in that attractive way they find it sexually attractive you know what I mean where it's like you know we want to use your lips or want you to be in this thing it's just like objectifying a woman
0: so true because either at home where you are being told what your body should look like, which doesn't suit your body or let alone thinking about what your spirit wants, then you come to Australia and it's like a whole nother set of standards and people's desires and thoughts being projected onto you. And as you say, where you feel like an object because it's like where is there room for me to own my body and I'm really interested in what you said about um your body just wasn't even part of what you could think about because I can Mm. really I can really relate to that and I think that that is a very common experience for Mm. women and for women of color especially because of that need for us to survive so much in mm-hmm. the circumstances that we're in sometimes that we sometimes have to almost divorce ourselves from our body and our physical needs and our physical really? you know
1: yeah I agree absolutely like absolutely like my body was like last thing that I thought of at the day at that time but at the same time it's the first thing you think of because you go to school with a whole people, like um, whole school full of white purse people, and then you stand out. Like the first thing you do when you look at them, you stand out and you'd be so insecure because you just don't know, are they looking at me because I'm weird? Are they looking at me because my hair is kinky? Are they looking at me because of what I'm wearing? You know what I mean? you feel insecure because you're like, oh my God, where is this place? What Like, what is this place? Like, can I ever breathe? Like, I learned to grow up, quicker than I expected. And um, I learned to ignore my own feelings. I, I learned to, like, just avoid anything that has to do with me thinking about it and then thinking that it's happening, you know, to just talk myself that at the at age of 13 to 14 all the way till adulthood now, it's kind of, like, sad at the same time because I should never be able to feel that way. I should be in a place and then feel proud of who I am. I used to bleach my skin at that time as well because I felt like that was the only way that I can survive in a world where white was considered as pretty because at least when I go in a room I don't have to be looked at you know what I mean or at least I have a bit of a skin tone there. you know like I go to the shop when I get paid with Centrelink money and be like okay I'm gonna buy some cream and then it's a so expensive, but you feel like that's the beauty, and you're like, "Oh, money is worth it." Like I'm gonna buy a trip. I'm gonna mix it with, um, uh, carolite and then the, the best cream. And you go there. This like African women, they're selling it to you. They're like, "Yeah, you mix it up with this and use this soap to wash your skin," and you just like it's just been part of like your the norm. You feel like it's normal because. People that are meant to tell you, you know, you shouldn't do that, but they're the one that's selling you as well. And then maybe they're right. Maybe the people that are telling me I'm too dark, or when I go in a room and I stand up, maybe that's what that's the norm. You know, that's what they're taught to be beautiful, like a, sk- a darker, sk- a whiter skin or lighter skin. You know, so I used to literally waste my money on a beauty product of bleaching. And then just, like, do random stuff to my skin. And my skin was, like, you can tell my knuckles is dark. I can feel it. And I'm just, like, in my face, we're, like, really white. And I know it was not right because I felt like this is not me. But at the same time, I thought, I'm, like, this is pretty because at the same time, you're getting compliments from people. Oh, your skin is really good. What cream you're using. Wow. And those sort of compliments, you, t- you think it's ne- positive, but it's actually negative, you
0: know? it's so hard i i really hear you and i can really relate to the idea that you know you're in circumstances where actually like being self-possessed and empowered and like girl power i own my body is really the last thing that you've got space to develop um yeah and instead what you're doing is you're moving through space as a young woman in your teens and everything about your body is something that somebody else is projecting onto you they they are naming whether it's good or it's bad or whether it's normal or whether you're within the norm or whether you're outside the norm and so all you're doing is processing all of these external messages and frankly it's almost like i remember feeling that i would do anything just to not be an outlier anymore
1: mm-hmm. that's and, exactly me
0: you know I would do anything yeah. so that I could just fade into the background and I remember oh you <laughs> I'm gonna just <laughs> just between us I'm gonna send you a picture after we stop talking of yeah. the the way I used to do my hair when I was growing up my friends were either my high school friends were either really great friends or really terrible friends yeah. because I had some really really bad straight weaves that I was wearing because I was just desperate to look like the other girls and they were not fooling anyone and they were awful but it was just an expression of just wanting to erase my difference mm-hmm. so yep. I can so relate to what you're saying
1: it's so sad because you don't even get to know who you are like my whole childhood trying to figure out who I am but I didn't even get that chance, and it's just like it's what people's perspective was. That was the most important thing, and it shouldn't be. You know what I mean? It's what your perspective is as a person. But we just thought in a world where if you're not white, you're not beautiful, and. If your skin, your hair is not silk, it's not beautiful, or it's so much questions Questions of why is your hair this way this today, and why is your hair this way tomorrow? You know, it's just that question constantly you have to answer to. Even, even you told them yesterday that, yeah, I do my hair every day differently, but it's still the same question, and you get sick and tired of ta- talking about it. Even today, I still talk about my hair, you know, and then hair is something that I feel so connected to because I feel like this is who I am, I'm going to embrace it and I'm going to do whatever I want to do with it, you know, and then stand out and be my own unique.
0: Yeah, I really hear you. I really hear you because... It should actually be your pride. It should be a source of pride. And now I can see you and I see the pride you take and you're such a proud individual. You have beautiful, beautiful complexion and, you know, you embrace it. And you're such a stunning woman. But you. You know when i look back at pictures of myself when i was 15 and 16 i was beautiful but i never felt beautiful Mm. and it's such a waste because the the mental space that was taken up trying to change my body
1: Mm.
0: you know i wasn't thinking about being creative or joining this team or you know, I was wasting energy on that when I could have been doing things that were just so much more fun. I know.
1: I know. It's just waste of time, waste of energy and exhaustion. Like I literally just woke up one day and then told myself, you're beautiful the way you are. Just thing is thank god it was it was so expensive it made me even go broke i'm like you know what, i don't have the money for it thank god i didn't have that much money that time anyway that made me even like you know encourage me more to stop because i was wearing short skin i was embarrassed because there was patches on your skin where one place is white one place is dark your knuckles are dark and this and that and i'm like i'm not even being able to express myself how i should when when i wear clothes because i feel like if people are going to be asking me you like you know why use your skin white and white people they're straight out you know they were like why is your knuckle darker than your other hands you know what i mean oh yeah they're curious (laughs) they're gonna ask those questions exactly and i'm just like one day i went home i'm just like nah, i'm not doing anymore and i just went to the pharmacy i just got this qv cream it's just not a cream it's just like this uh lotion that babies use and i literally just been using those like body wash till today because I'm just like, I'm beautiful who I am. My skin tone, I need to embrace it. Wow. I don't care what people think about me. It's what I think of myself that's important. You know what I mean? And I, I should that. use my energy elsewhere where I can just work toward my future, work to help other people. And that's what's important. Your opinion does no matter to me. It's your judgment. That, that's your perspective. You don't know me. You like It's your bad luck if you don't even talk to me because of my skin color or like to making me even feel insecure, you know?
0: I love that, but it takes a lot of strength because I'm thinking about the people who you know, the colorism thing, being a dark-skinned black woman, I feel like I got more messages about not being beautiful because of my dark skin from people within the black community, in my family even, than from anybody outside. So to have the strength to push back, like I remember being told by relatives don't wear dark colors your skin is dark enough already why do you want to be so dark when you're already dark and you know when you're a little kid stuff like that really sticks with you and so for you to find a place where you're like no man this is a waste of time and money and energy it takes a huge amount of internal strength
1: it does. And I feel like for the family perspective as well, I feel like they know no better as well. They're growing up as well. They've been taught to hate their own skin. And they pass that on to us. And they tell us the same thing that they've been taught before. You know what I mean? So I feel like it's our time to say to them, no, you should never feel embarrassed of your skin tone. Thank you for telling me that all that year. But now I'm just finding out who I am. And my skin is just beautiful as it is. Like, it is. You know what I mean? It I'm is sure beautiful. Concrete, you know? It's just that. And then sometimes I honestly don't blame people, older generation in Africa or my family. I know they did what they had to do, but at the same time, they were not taught any better. You know what I mean? True. They were taught to hate their skin as well. And then they're passing that on us. And it's just so shame because if they... People know if they tell your elderly, oh, this is bad, they're going to come back and tell our grand- grandkid, this is bad. But instead, they don't do that. They just tell them, oh, you sh- yeah, white is better, white is this, you know, and they pass that on to us. And it's so sad because, you know how hey, it is, black people are just dirty and then that's the stigma and then stereotype around it
0: yeah it's amazing how we kind of have internalized the anti-blackness that has been put on us and i think the people in my life who have given me those messages like i love what you say i don't blame them because i know it's what was indoctrinated into them and i know that when they're trying to make me be different it's because they wanted me to be happy and be safe and so i don't i don't resent them but you, you've you had to have a lot of strength to get over a lot of things. Um, but where do you think you found the strength to really resist and be the one who said, no, I'm okay as I am?
1: To be honest, I don't know. I just don't know. Like, there's a lot of things within myself. I feel like I have a lot of courage within myself where if it does not serve me right, I move on from it, and if it does not make me feel good about it, I don't do it. And I feel like I have that that energy within myself where I'm quick to switch. I'm quick to figure out what's best for me. Like I will get advices from people that I care about cares about me. But at the end of the day, it's up to me to decide what I want to do and what I want to overcome. You know, I, everything that I have overcome in my life, it's me reflecting on my own and saying you know do you want to share that or do you want to really move on from that or how are you going to overcome this you know there's so many things in my life where it's just me telling myself because growing up I was told so many things that it's just disgusting that I didn't turn out any other way you know what I mean but it's up to I woke up one day I'm like I'm tired of being people's puppet I'm tired of hating myself I'm tired of all this negativity around me I'm tired of people telling me you're so illiterate you can't do anything for yourself you can't do studies you can't do anything you'll be worthless I was tired of it and I felt I know a lot of time I said to myself you don't need to prove people wrong but it was kind of like a motivation for me to say no you don't want to help me or you don't want to see me succeed or you don't want me to love myself I'm going Mm -hmm. to do it anyway without your help so it was those things that Gave me the courage. I don't think it was anything else. It was just me waking up every morning. I'm like, I'm going to do better today. You know, I can't fix that situation. I have no control over that situation. So I'm going to let that situation go. And I'm not going to let it bother me. Is there a solution for it? Yes. Then then I'll go and fix it. But if there's no solution for it, I'll figure another way. You know, and half of the time, that's what I've been doing. I can't think of thing. I can't think of someone that would be like, oh, that's my motivation. Oh, that person was my motivation. I actually can't. It was just all determination of me saying that I'm not going to end up where I started. Internal. And then, yeah, it was just that. And then it it pushed me through it, like not having family here, not having a role model or anything like that. It was just me and my thought fighting together every day to survive wow. and to get off the street and then doing things for myself. Like it was, I had a hard time throughout my life, and I'm not going to lie, and I'm sure I shared that myself half the time on Instagram and everywhere else you know it was not easy life it was i didn't have a role model and it was high school was tough it was bullying and there was racial profiling and there was uh neglect you know no money no lunch money or oh, there's times that i used to stay around the shopping centers or train station asking for five cents to get home like i still have fines still today because i never used to buy a train ticket because i didn't have money you know but i still went to school until i finished year 12. Because I had to do that, and I didn't want to quit, you know, so those things were the thing that I pushed me.
0: You are an incredible woman
1: <laughs> so yeah, so those these these are my life. I never used to get along with my mom, and I still don't so it was more I can't go back where I started, even when I used to live in Africa, I used to never see my mom one day or two days. I just lived with my friend. I was more clever back in that. I think people still laugh at me when I tell them like, dude, I used to sell things at school because I didn't want to ask my mom for money because I knew she wouldn't give it to me. Like I used to make lollies for myself. I used to make milks for myself, put sugar in it and then start selling it at school, just make my own money. I used to sell water on my head in the shopping center to make money like just because i didn't want to like until the day that i came to australia i was doing those things wow So i felt like i was that clever at that age that was like 10 years old 11 years old. i was doing that for myself like you go had to school that, for that hustle time. yeah i was hustling hard because i'm just like you know what i have to do it for myself at that age no one told me do this do this I just saw people doing I'm like well if those kids can do on the street I can do it so I'll come home put water in the bag tie them up put them in the fridge let them cool down after school I'll put like at least 10 heavy bags in my head and go outside and sell them like literally that's what I used to do you know make my own money and then survive so
0: strong and you even you know you fought back against you you know you've you've always had that hustle to survive and that sense of independence and that wish to prove people wrong and it's really served you well and i know that i've i've come across your name often um in your incredible activism that you do as part of no fgm australia um that Like, even that is so courageous. Um, You know, how does an experience like that impact your body image as a young woman?
1: Yeah, I think it impacts you massively because FGM traditionally is known as, you know, when you get cut, mutilated, you're ready for marriage. Your body is not, you're not labeled, quote, labeled as a man. Because you have a clitoris hanging out for you. So once that clitoris is cut off, you're considered as a woman. So you have a secret society where you you find that sense of belonging and you. That's where men find you attractive. You know what I mean? Right. So it's kind of like transitioning here, like where I wasn't told that that's not actually accurate. That's not true. You know, your body part belongs where they belong. You know, no one should cut that off and no one should make you feel less worth a woman than you are already. So figuring out my own body growing up and then going through emotions uh, where I'm just like so angry and so upset as I grow up where sexual conversation was something that I'll never engage in because I felt like I can't relate and I don't feel that kind of orgasm because I was mutilated and, um, and then that's what I was told growing up where it's like it's all about men's pleasure, you know, you don't feel anything. And then he made me very insecure and I was not talking about any to my sexual, like sexual thing to anyone because I was let, like, I was put down by friends as well where friends would be like, you don't know anything about sex. Why are you engaging in your sex? Your clitoris is cut off. So that kind of made me go into a hole where I'm like, oh my God, I can't get a break. Like... So what am I gonna to do to overcome this stuff? So that's when I went online and I started doing my research because I was never told about human rights, about the mutilation, and to see the statistic out there where it was like almost like at that time it was 180 million women's were mutilated, and to now it were 200 million, and then that gave me the motivation. I'm like, you know what? Since this is a stigma and taboo in my society, I'm gonna make sure that this taboo is out. I don't care if it's gonna you no know, if it's someone's gonna hurt me or not, but I'm sick and tired of being like being close and then not be able to experience things, not be able to talk about my feelings or my body, how it is down there or how I feel sexually as well, you know, maybe there's someone there that can relate to who I am, like like what they've been through as well, you know. Yes. And I think that gave me the confidence to speak about my experiences, about as an FGM survivor and as a girl that was mutilated at six years old where I I didn't even know what my body was. And to growing up where you're figuring out all this part of your sensitive part, but you have not sensitive part. You know what I mean? So it kind of like gave me such a strong courage to just go out there, speak my mind. And I always say, I'm like, I'll speak from my perspective. I'm my own personal storyteller. Like what I say, it's coming from myself, what I experience. I'm never going to speak on another woman's behalf, even though they are going through FTM as well. Their experience might be different to mine. So I'm always going to speak from my experience. You can either like it or not like it. And that's why I just decided maybe that's a healing process for me as well. And at the same time, it's time for me to go around and asking, like getting... Questions about my body. Why am I feeling this way? Is this related to this? You know, there's so many complications that come from FGM, and uh, no one told me that. You know, it was just that you're gonna get married, and men's gonna find you attractive, and you're gonna be beautiful, and that's not what it is. You know, that's definitely not what it is.
0: Wow, I hear you. I really hear you. I love the way that you own your story. I there's a quote that I think I've mentioned before on the podcast from Audrey Lord. And she says, anything about me that I own cannot be used by others to shame and diminish me. Mm, um, and I really hear that in your story. I've paraphrased that a bit, but I really hear the fact that, you know, you've come from this cultural context where there is this belief that this uh, – this sort of rite of passage thing is important for you to become a woman but what did you when before you moved to Australia even when you were you know up to the age of 13 in Africa did you already feel that that wasn't right or was it the experience of coming to Africa um to Australia that made
1: you know what now that you said that actually uh, I, I knew that it wasn't right but has a young woman living in a overseas in a country where FGM is condoned, your mom gone through it, your auntie's gone through it and the people around you gone through it. It kind of become like a, like, I always said, I'm like, it's kind of like a pressure for you as a six year old, you know, okay. This thing is bad, but it's something that I have to go through. And then the same time you're always watching behind you to see who's going to cut you to go and get you mutilated. But, you know, it's scary, but at the same time, because there's such a stigma around women that are not mutilated and then there's society as well where women's are mutilated, belongs to, and then, like, you want to belong in that because that's seen as cool. Even though you know FGM is bad in your mind as a young child, you still want to belong. I don't know. We all crave for that sense of belonging. We
0: all you know? crave it. We all crave yeah. it. It's the same reason why I was piercing my ears by myself, you know, mm-hmm. with with whatever I could find around with my friends. It's the same reason why young kids in Australia are tattooing their bodies themselves with their friends with biro ink. Mm-hmm. You know, it's yes. all the same continuum. We all want to belong. So I hear that. It's, I understand. It's
1: exactly like FGM as well. It's just and then this and. I knew it was wrong the second time when they tried to mutilate me because, and I still have that scar for that because I ran for my life. And this happened because they're not educated as well. They mutilated you once. And if you don't mutilate him from that country of that town, no one knows you're mutilated. You know what I mean? So they'll still think you're young and your clitoris is growing, which means they will do it again. And I ran for my life. Like every single time I see a scar of mine. Like, I don't know, I've never seen this before, but it's actually on my shoulder and I only feel it. And I'm like, that's because the that other day you run because of your life, lo- it ran for your life because you didn't want to get me because you knew it was wrong at that time. And that was before I came to Australia. You know, as wow. a young person, why should I be, you know, why should I be running from people? Why should I be running from certain things if I knew it wasn't wrong? You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, you need. But I felt the pain. I felt the pain and I knew it was horrible. It took me six months to heal. And it was the most awful part of my growing. And I didn't have a, a six year old childhood. You know, I didn't have a, a normal childhood where I'd be like playing, but half of the time I was playing, I was crying because I can't pee because of the pain that I'm going through. Mm. And for someone else to try to do that the second time and then for me to run away with it, like, you, you know, as a child, you know, something's wrong. You know. Wow. So
0: when you feel that scar, so when you get out of the shower, I don't know about you, but when I get out of the shower, I feel like it's a real black girl thing. There's about eight, eight layers of moisturiser that needs to be put on yeah. my skin. That's me. <laughs> That's how we glow so beautifully. Yeah. And so when you run your hand over that shoulder where you have that scar from that private, private reminder,
1: what do you feel now? Do you feel pride for resisting? What do you feel? I feel pride and I feel so much anger because I feel like I should not have run I sh- no one should have touched me in the first place that's how I feel you know what I mean I feel but then I don't want to make excuses for them but they were not taught to do anything they're bored they have nothing to do with their life besides like going around saying that your clitoris doesn't belong then we're gonna cut it off you know I feel all those sense of like mixed emotion but I feel like at this stage of my life I still feel it then I'll, it will have, like, a quick reflection. Then I'll move on quickly, you know, because yeah. I feel like I'm in control of my own life now. I'm not going to let that upset me any longer. I don't even know where those people are, you know what I mean? So yeah. why should I let them control me when I'm living my life, you know?
0: I love that. You feel in control yeah. of your body and your life now.
1: Yeah, because yeah. I, know, I know that I'm safe. I know no one's going to do that to me. Yes, these guys are always going to be there to remind me, I still have the scars on my ankle where I was mutilated. I was trying to go to the pee and I couldn't pee because it was so sore. And I fell over the stone and I hit myself. My ankle was bleeding oh. and I had to get stitches done because of, you know, because I didn't want to pee because mm. it was painful. And I had three, three wounds at the same time. You know, being clitoris being cut, having that pain, and then having that cut wound on your ankle at the same time it was just awful thing. And I still have that scar till today. And I never used to wear. Shorts good because I'm like it still reminds me. It still now it it does remind me, but I don't get angry anymore. I learned to get over it. I'm like, well, it's just part of me now. I'm just gonna embrace it. You know. I love the way you embrace
0: those parts of you and that you're like owning these parts of your story. Do you feel like? Do you feel like maybe? Um, like I talk about, I have things different life experience but I have I feel like I can really hear and relate to what you're saying because there's things that I've experienced in my life that I kept secret for a long time through Mm -hmm. shame and because of that they created a distance between me and my body um, yeah and I feel like in some sort of really weird way that I don't quite understand yet not keeping those secrets either by telling particular people I trust or by just really shouting it from the rooftops, telling the world you're my Instagram friend you've seen some of my posts, you know, whether yeah. it's about my mental health or other things has really helped me to feel uh less um alienated from my body like I can sit in it because it's not causing me shame,
1: yeah. I feel the same. I feel the same. I feel like I'm able to control what's hap- what has happened and then now Im- able to embrace in it and then talk about it openly with people, strangers, where I'm like, I don't care. This is part of me, so you're going to know about it either way. So, you know, like getting that, getting connected to myself, getting connected to my body and getting to know, okay, okay, that's fine. That's what it is. It is what it is. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah. I think that what you said is so pertinent. It's that, uh, you know, like you said, you didn't like the scar on your ankle. You were worried about strangers seeing that your knees were darker when you were bleaching. Um, I really think you've hit a very important point there, which is that I think what really alienates you from your body sometimes is the fear of other people's questions whether they're mm-hmm. real questions or what their eyes will ask
1: yeah i agree
0: um and when you are not afraid of those questions because either you are being honest with yourself or owning the narrative that those uh, scars show or that my wide hips show or that you know uh you know something about your body shows that your difference shows and you're not fearful because you you've taken possession of that narrative then you can sit at home in your body because it's like you don't feel like your body's going to betray you and open you up to that vulnerability of an awkward conversation that you can't handle
1: yes i agree i absolutely agree now i just walk around like, if I can go around the shopping center with my singlet, like big open singlet, I'll go there with no brows on. That's how much I don't care about what other people think of me. And I walk around with shorts on. I don't give a shit because this is who I am, either like it or not. It's your problem, not my problem. I always say that. If it's someone call out a name on me, I'm like, you don't know me. That's my whole to go to. I'm like, you don't know me. Because people that know me, they would never say those kind of words to me. Yeah. So it doesn't even bother me. I'm like, I'm not even going to see you. again. So why should I let your cruel words hurts me you know what I mean why should I take that back home because of your insecurity or because of you don't want to see me wearing short stuff and then pull my skin out there like that or you don't want to see dark skin like that you know what I mean yes. it has everything to do with me so I'm almost like you don't know me, that's my whole go-to. I'm like, you don't know me. I love that.
0: That's such a great go-to, because I heard somewhere, when somebody wants to be mean to you, uh, it's like an act of rejecting you, because it's like trying to say you don't belong. And she said, one of the first things you should do when they push that projectile towards you is like it's almost like you hold up a ping pong like a table tennis racket and you and you push it back towards them you just refuse to accept it you just go that's
1: exactly
0: you sent that over my way and I'm just boop back to you the negativity boop back to you I'm not going to own it I'm not going to collect it and internalize it and that's what you're doing you're just going you don't know me boom back to you but it's back in your head. Yeah, court. that's
1: exactly what I do. Everything that I do in my life, if someone awful said to me, fuck you, this and that, or why are you doing this? I'm like, you don't know me, or it's awful stuff. Because I feel like that's more painful for them because they want to see a reaction. And if you turn around and say to them, I don't know you, you don't know me, so why should I let your cruel world hurt me? I'm going to go on my day and then go whatever I need to do and do it. You're the one that's going to go home and say, why didn't that person get upset? And I then love question that. your own integrity and then what you stand for in life yes <laughs>
0: sis and let nobody ever separate you from the joy of walking out around without a bra
1: on right oh my god you know how free it is huh. if i can go around with no bra on like thank god my job allowed me to be who i am mm. and i embrace that every single day like i'll go around workplace sometimes with my africana hair tie like yes. i'm just like who i am different hairstyle. i think not give a shit i'm like this is who i am you hire me you hire me entire culture yeah. like i don't care you know what i mean i but love it's just it like, it's freedom to be who i am to embrace i'm like so many years you guys told me to hate myself so many years you guys told me this is not right i'm like nothing is i right. love it i'm gonna do what i need to do to survive and what makes me happy you know what I mean? So now workplace people like, oh, we don't even know where you're going to come tomorrow. I'm like, that's exactly my point. You never know what I'm going to be tomorrow because <laughs> that's who I am. Keep an eye it. I, and I think that's what always drag me to back to braids because I feel like braids are stand up more and braids represent culture. Braids represent who you are, where you come from. And then that's why I'm always aiming to go that way because I'm like silk hair, extension straight hair. It's just always like blending in. It's just blending in with the what people think it's beautiful but my bride you, don't, you might not think it's beautiful but it makes me stand up it makes me have a conversation with people who want to know about a different mm. culture it makes me be different and then that's what I like I like being different in a world that's the same oh, you know
0: sis <laughs> sis that is a word
1: <laughs> sorry <laughs> so passionate
0: <laughs> oh, I, I love that I love <laughs> that I love it <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's Such... <who> <laughs> oh,
0: and you slay those braids are they pink
1: right uh, now yeah they're pink now mm. <laughs> i don't know what color to put here, but i'm like uh, i don't know what winter's coming let's see i love it
0: you look beautiful yeah. wow what do you wish an auntie could have told you when you were younger about loving your body
1: uh, auntie would tell me wear whatever you want to wear, be who you want to be, wear your clothes how you want to wear it. Um, you know, I walk into a room, be confident, earn your skin tone, and not tell me like, tell me use shea butter and coconut oil because that's what's best for your skin. Word, don't tell me. Yeah, and then don't tell me to go and buy cocoa butter or carolite where it's like that's beautiful or tell me to dress like be conservative where it's like you need to like now that you have your period you're gonna get married like I don't I'd like I heard that so many times I want them to tell me now that you have a period you can do whatever you want to do it's your body mm, this is what your okay. body's going to turn into you know come to me ask questions and be like open-minded who are you like there for me when I need to talk to them about certain topics like not to push me to do things that I don't want to do or not to make me feel like I'm an object of some kind of where people can come and beat, you know, and mm. say, okay, you're ready for marriage now, let's pay your bright price and get married, you know? Yeah. So that's what I, I wish that someone would have told me when I'm growing up, like, tell me it's going to be hard. Tell me it's going to be hard world. It's going to be, you're going to be judged. You're going to be, but these are the things that you're going to do to stay on top of things. And I should not. Like, I would tell my grandkids, I would tell my kids that, but I feel like I wish I should have been taught that when I was growing up because that would have given me a lot more confidence and a lot more strength to deal with the world that I find myself into now, like this country, which is the white world, white men's world, and it's just hard to navigate. Tell me how to navigate. I think that's the most important thing that I will ask for anyone that that's my auntie or a family family friend or whoever like it's just a massive part in australia today or any country
0: i love that and you know what's really yeah. beautiful fatu
1: yeah. you
0: just did that for someone
1: <laughs> thank you oh, oh, oh if i can inspire one person i'm happy
0: Nah, no, you just did that someone listening you just you just said that word and it reached them and they're like
1: hmm I yes. mean, we're beautiful, like, we're skin tone, like, fuck. I wish someone would have told me earlier before, like, your skin tone is beautiful. Like, I look at my skin tone. I don't wear makeup every day. I don't wear, my- I-, I hate makeup, matter of fact. I, I call my makeup three-step makeup. Mm. You know what I mean? Where I put foundation if I have to, and I pour my powder, and I pull my glasses back on, or just I spray it on top of my makeup to just make it settle. Mm. That's yeah. it. I go to work every day with my bare face it's just who I am you gotta deal with it I don't need to please anyone and I wish uh, people aunties would have told us that like you don't need a makeup to make you beautiful or you don't need another color to lighten your skin tone and all those stuff get your color that makes your color pops that make you shine through the light like when the shine mm. touch that skin it just melts away and light no told on our skin body.
0: light on our skin <laughs> is magic right
1: Oh, my God, it's fucking black magic every day. Mm. <laughs> but, yeah.
0: I love that. I absolutely love that. Thank you so much, Fatou. One of my favorite things about having a podcast called Hey, Auntie, is kind of keying into that iconic thing of black aunties. Sometimes they're good. Sometimes they use their powers for evil. But yeah. I think that as an auntie, I would describe myself as the loud cheering you on auntie. What sort of auntie are you, Fatu? I'm
1: very loud. I'm very abrupt. <laughs> um I'm just a I'm just a loud person, caring human being. I feel like a people I'm that type of auntie where I'll put someone's need before mine. And um Supportive of anyone that's want to do good in this world and try to navigate their way through. I'm that type of auntie that will sit down and give you advice and then just help you through it, like help you navigate, like just while being still loud and while still being abrupt in Love a good it. way. You know what I mean? Love you know, it. Just being myself and not changing who I am to suit someone else's need.
0: You and me, we're in the same <laughs> camp. We're in the same oh, I'm auntie camp. I
1: always get called out loud, loud being loud. So yeah. Um, I'm I'm loud. i like I can't speak quietly. No, it doesn't exist in my dictionary. Fatty, it was so rad to talk to you. You too, man. I had a blast.
0: Thank you very much to Fatty Zela for that wonderful conversation. Hey, Auntie is produced by Michelle Macklin, Chantelle Dumanuba and me, Chantelle Wetherill. Music in this episode is by Jason Price and Michelle Macklin. For more on the show, you can visit heyAuntyPod.com. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter. We're just getting started with season two, but you can always go back and listen to the great conversations from season one. More from us in a week.